Welcome to ICANN, a podcast about ophthalmology through a uniquely Canadian lens with Dr. Cedare Ziai and myself, Dr. Guillermo Rocha. The ICANN podcast has been made possible by support from MD Financial Management and Scotiabank, proud financial partners of the Canadian Ophthalmological Society and Canada's ophthalmologists. We'll share our experiences as ophthalmologists today and tackle some of the challenges we face as healthcare providers. Are you ready, Cedare? Let's do it, Guillermo. Let's do it, Cedare. Welcome to the ICANN podcast. On this episode of ICANN, we talk with Dr. Agnes Wong, Professor of Ophthalmology, Neurology and Psychology at the University of Toronto. Dr. Wong is an active staff ophthalmologist and senior scientist at the Hospital for Sick Children. In her career as a physician scientist, Dr. Wong has published over 120 peer-reviewed papers in the field of ophthalmology and vision sciences and held many prestigious research grants. Dr. Wong currently focuses on wellness and healthcare. She is currently on the faculty of the Mindfulness and Compassion Training for Health and End-of-Life Care Professionals. This program is at the Serana Institute in Toronto. By integrating mindfulness, compassion, reflective practices, and systems thinking, her approach is to help healthcare professionals develop the vital skills needed to enhance their well-being and to improve the system. Dr. Wong has won critical acclaim for her latest book, The Art and Science of Compassion, A Primer, Reflections of a Physician Chaplain. This book was published by Oxford University Press. Dr. Wong, welcome to the ICANN podcast. Hello, thank you for inviting me to be here tonight. Just to get us all started, I know we've been hearing about this a lot lately. It's become so trendy in the past few years, but can you tell us in your own words what the definition of mindfulness is? Well, mindfulness really has really picked up in the, in the healthcare field as well as in the, uh, you know, popular kind of like uh, area in the last few decades. And, you know, this technical definition of mindfulness is, you know, there are many definitions actually, but John Kabat-Zinn, who actually brought mindfulness into uh, the West, defined mindfulness as being present in a moment. And the presence is on purpose. And one quality is very important is being non-judgmental about our thoughts and emotions. You know, for me personally, I think mindfulness is actually beyond that, you know, through the practice and through the training, we become, you know, more familiar or we actually explore who we are. And also, you know, also look at our own unexamined assumptions and biases, our thought pattern, as well as how the mind works. And the fascinating thing is that the neuroscience have really shown us how it works, how it make changes at the brain level, as well as the benefits that it brings and the mechanisms behind it. Okay, that was great. I loved the part of your answer that um, that said that we should be non-judgmental about our our thoughts that flow through our minds. That's a very simple way um, for me to think about this. So I guess sort of related to this aspect of um, what you've been uh, working on and practicing. Can you um, tell us a little bit more about physician wellness and why this is so important? I mean, especially now, look at what we've been through the past few years. Tell us why physician wellness is an important practice for all physicians. 
you know, Saturday, I'm really glad that uh, you caught, you know, the important component of mindfulness is being non-judgmental. Because, you know, if you notice, you know, during practice or if you actually just even spend some quiet time in your mind, you will notice that uh, many times you have this internal critic that is harshly criticizing ourselves all the time. You know, it's, oh, you're not good enough or I don't look good enough, etc. right? And I think this internal critic is actually one of the reasons why, you know, physicians have so much distress and anxiety is because of this harsh critic is nonstop kind of criticizing us all the time. And this really to an important component is having self-compassion on ourselves. If we start to notice that there's this internal critic that is constantly on, the t- on all the time, we can also be self-compassionate knowing that we don't really need to listen to it. It is just a thought in our head. So, and by that, we can uh, be more kind to ourselves, just like we are with our friends. And I also think that self-compassion is critically important, you know, because in terms of physician burnout, the lack of self-compassion, I think, is one of the major causes of it. That's great. That's that really sets the tone for the conversation, Agnes. Now, when I met you, I met you many years ago, and you were in leadership positions at the hospital. I've known of several people who spend time with you in your lab and doing PhDs. And all of a sudden, there's this kind of change of direction. So I'm, I'm interested to know why. Why this change of plans? Is it part of the plan? Or, or was it something that, um, that uh, sort of all of a sudden was triggered in your life and you decided to change directions. Thank you, Guillermo. You mentioned that uh, we met back in Quebec City. I think that was when the time that I was really busy with all kinds of uh, leadership positions. Yes, yes. You mentioned, you know, um, you know, being, you know, having a, you know, big lab at the time, as well as, um, you know, becoming the chief of ophthalmology at Sick Kids and also mm-hmm. the vice chair of research at you know, University of Toronto. And at that time, I really thought that I was living a highly satisfying, fulfilling life. And then what happened was, um, you know, that was a few years ago now. While I was, you know, managing all these duties, I have an illness that really triggered me to really think, rethink about, you know, what is my life about? And then as I was kind of going through this really challenging personal situation, I began to look, um, to realize that all the you know, stress and anxiety and sufferings around me, not only about our patients, but also, you know, our colleagues who are kind of really overwhelmed by all kinds of work demand or the expectations and, you know, all kinds of situation. And then, of course, in addition to that, we also need to look at, you know, how we try to juggle our lives, right? Like we all have a busy life as well as a family and and it seems like we can never please everyone because we just have so many things on our plate. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I realized that, you know what, the true happiness doesn't come from, you know, external validation. It's actually really coming from how we um, look at ourselves, you know, not so much about rearranging the external things as outside there, but actually look inside and look mm-hmm. at how we can, um, how we can be more attuned to what our needs are, how our mind is doing, how we are doing, changing the internals over the external. Kind of like a reversing the senses. There was a looking more inside as opposed to outside. Is that what you're referring to? Exactly, exactly. We look at 
inside rather than just turning our attention all the time outside. Mm-hmm. And, and can you tell us more, Agnes, about the three A's, um, achieving, acquiring, accumulating, and how do these negatively impact the profession? How, how are they important to wellness? Right. You know, I like to use the three A's. It's just a kind of catchy phrase, you know, stand for achieving, acquiring, and accumulating. And then kind of, kind of go back to, you know, you know, if you think about medical school application, right, I just, you know, recently I just went back to the basement and look at the, my, my medical school application. I realized that I said, you know, I want to be a doctor because I want to be a service. I want to help people. Mm. But then somewhere along the way, you know, throughout medicine, somehow, you know, it got distracted, you know, it becomes, you know, what is more important becomes like more like having a successful practice or in my case, you know, being a successful scientist, getting awards and recognitions, you know, having big houses, nice cars. So that's what I meant by achieving, acquire, accumulating. Mm-hmm. And what I feel or what I, you know, after deep, you know, reflection on this is that, you know, while there's really nothing wrong to reap the reward of a hard work, you know, in getting all these recognitions and, um, and achievements. But the problem then becomes when these things turn into some kind of obligation or distraction mm-hmm. that steer us away from what is meaningful to us. And what's the purpose? Why we're here to, to be a doctor, to be in medicine to begin with. Mm-hmm. So in other words, not making it the end, but kind of like the means to help us enjoy other things, but but not necessarily the the end is what would affect us more in the long exactly. term. Exactly, exactly. And I always, mm-hmm. you know, feel that, you know, when I speak to colleagues or, you know, residents, you know, always try to remind them that the most important thing that brings happiness is to really remember what our purpose is, why we're here in medicine to begin with. And then when we are aligned, when we act in alignment with a purpose, then that is actually kind of like the, the secret ingredient for happiness rather than get sidetracked by all these uh, superfluous distractions. So that's very interesting. And, and so I'm also interested in, in some of your research that led to a very important question. And how does this relate to what you're saying? Why is the healthcare system plagued with so many problems? And, and what do you define as those problems? And, um, and, and what is the essence of that? Yeah, this is a question that I have like thought about a lot in the last few years. And I think that there are actually kind of three components. And for example, we start out with mindfulness, right? And many people think that, you know, the reason why there's so burnout and there's so many problems in healthcare is because it's a personal issue, a personal problem. For example, being doctors, we are kind of in a way all professionistic, or we also suffer from imposter syndrome, thinking that, you know, our success mm-hmm. is just kind of like a fraud and we will be discovered, you know, anytime, you know, by, by someone. Well, sometimes you could, you know, just plainly, because of pathological altruism, when we think that, you know, being altruistic is to be micromanaging and to be like there, you know, to be attending to our patients 24 seven, or, you know, to kind of like control everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is where kind of mindfulness comes in because it helps us to really realize some of our uh, patterns or how, how some of our habits that are not really helpful. But then there's okay. other second component also, it's not just about personal, there's also the interpersonal component. For example, in the pandemic, I think it really speaks very well. It's about the moral suffering they experience in our in our daily environment, right? Like, 
you know, because of various constraints. We know what we're supposed to do or what is the right thing to do, but we cannot do what we want to do, right? Mm-hmm. With the limitations, for example, at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we don't even have enough PPEs, right? Yeah. So that's one example. Another example of interpersonal environment issues, like for example, bullying, you know, whether it is in the workplace or especially for trainees, they're actually really experiencing that a lot. And then the third component, I think that is also very important. That it's not just about a personal interpersonal issue that can be kind of like, um, that can be balanced by having, you know, a more mindfulness practice. It's actually the system component. That's why system thinking is important. Just think about, you know, the emphasis on economic rationality, right? On efficiency, on, on throughput, as well as, you know, the patient volume that we deal with every day. So that's why I think, you know, if we really want sort of a holistic approach to the, the many problems that plague the healthcare system, we, it requires us to look at all three aspects, personal, interpersonal, and systemic. Excellent. I can want to know what you think. Please send your comments on today's episode or any suggestions you may have for topics or features to communications at cos-sco.ca and we'll try to incorporate them into future episodes. Hi, I'm Dr. Nupra Bakshi and I listen to the ICANN podcast. Agnes, diving a little bit deeper, you describe three scientific principles, neuroplasticity, epigenetics, and inborn goodness. Can you tell us more about this? You know, I did some research on this area, actually quite a bit of research in this area. The scientific principles is really revolve around, you know, what mindfulness is, as well as how mindfulness is a foundation for cultivating compassion. Mm-hmm. And the first principle is neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity just means that the brain changes in response to our experience and to our environment. So in other words, you know, if we uh, nurture our brain in a mindful and a compassionate way, the brain actually rewires itself through repetitions, just as when we, mm-hmm. for example, you know, if you play golf, right, or if you play the piano, mm-hmm. the more repetitions you have, you know, the stronger or the, the better the skills you have. So mindfulness and compassion can actually be cultivated by rewiring the brain. So that's the first principle. The second principle is epigenetics. Epigenetics just simply means that um, gene expression is influenced by our experience in life. So for example, if we, again, if we um, deliberately or or diligently cultivate compassion and uh, mindfulness, that can actually lead to epigenetic changes. You know, a good example will be like, for example, the oxytocin gene for compassion can actually be induced to express more if we cultivate compassion or... Wow. Yeah, that's a really fascinating area, right? That's amazing, yeah. Even more fascinating is that with mindfulness, there have been many research that show that um, the age or the telomeres, which is responsible for Mm -hmm. aging, can actually, uh, the expression of the telomerase genes can actually be changed through mindfulness and compassionate practice. So in other words, there's been research showing that with mindfulness and compassion training or practice, it can actually increase our lifespan. So that's really, really interesting. Oh, wow. 
That's amazing. Then, so can the opposite happen, Agnes? Can the opposite, <laughs> if you're if you're not, you know, repeating bad behaviors and things uh, along the lines of epigenetics, is something similar happening? That is an interesting question. Now I don't know the answer to this. No. I don't know the answer to this. But at least we know that you know uh, through epigenetics we can lead to a kind of longer lifespan. That's amazing. And then the third principle is about <laughs> inborn goodness. Basically, it's about that you know when when we are born, we're first born, we're actually uh, born with a prosociality that we are predisposed to prosocial behaviors. In fact, you know, a study in nature showed very, you know, interestingly that in these young babies that, you know, they actually prefer characters or puppets that show more uh, prosocial behaviors. So in other words, you know, our innate capacity for compassion and kindness is already there. It's just when, you know, we're exposed to different kinds of social conditionings and socials, you know, um, education that we start to discriminate against people or become you know, and become fearful or become, um, you know, unfriendly to people who we consider as not belonging to our tribe. The underlying kindness and compassion is already there. So our job is really to how to decondition ourselves, unbias ourselves, so that we can um, allow this uh, innate goodness to be revealed again. Wow. Very interesting, Agnes. Thank you. So I'm going to get into a little bit more practical mindfulness. Um, do you want to tell us about the three major forms of mental or mindfulness training? So what I read about was these three. So focused attention, open awareness, and loving kindness and compassion. So do you want to describe those a little bit to us? And then I have a, I have a follow-up question after that. Sure. You know, you hit it right on, you know, in the uh, in a secular practice, you know, or, or common to popular practice are three kind of three components of mindfulness or mental or mental training. The first is focus attention. Focus attention simply is a um, is a practice that allow us to pay attention on a certain subject or a certain object. So, for example, you know, when you think about meditation, more, most of us will start thinking about, oh, it's about focusing on the breath. So this is one example of focusing on an object so we can use our breath as an object. Sometimes you can actually use, you know, a bodily sensation as an object of focus. The whole idea for this practice is really to train our attention, which is really critical because, you know, if you think about it, in our daily life, we're bombarded with all kinds of distractions, right? Text, emails, entertainment, et cetera. So this focus attention practice allow us to develop attention stability so that uh, we can uh, we can live more life fully. A second practice is called open awareness, which is kind of like a step, um, kind of a little bit more advanced in the focus attention because the focus attention allow us to stay focused, right? Which then lead us to this practice called open awareness, in which we let go of focusing on the object, but instead allow us or allowed um, our attention to focus on whatever that comes to our mind. So it could be a thought, it could be emotion. And the beauty or the, you know, or the magic of this open awareness practice is that as you realize these thoughts and emotions, then you start to notice that thoughts and emotions kind of like they come and then they stay a while and then they go. Just like clouds in the sky, you know, sometimes they're big clouds, small clouds, dark clouds, white clouds but the sky is always there. 
so they can have a taste or glimpse of what our mind actually is underneath the clouds, underneath the distraction, underneath the thoughts. It's always this big blue sky that's always shining. So with practice, we'll be able to develop a sense of peace and also a sense of joy because we're able to be with the big sky you know, that's always there in our mind. The third practice, as you mentioned, is loving kindness and compassion, which is a practice that we focus on um, sending well wishes for all beings to be happy and to be free from suffering. So in other words, we send kindness, we send our concern for others, wishing them happy and to be free from stress and anxiety. So these are the three forms of mental training that is, uh, that is uh, commonly practiced you know, in, in, in mental training. That's great. Thank you, Agnes. I'm feeling calmer just listening to you speak about these things. <laughs> um, so my follow-up question for you is, so I know you've been involved in this now for a few years, and I remember hearing um, about you starting to teach these things to our broader community. I want to know, it's a bit more of a personal question, but um, answer it however you feel comfortable. What, how did you get started? Like, how, what did your mindfulness practice look like when you were just an a beginner and how, how has it changed over this length of time where you've gained more knowledge and experience? So I would say at the beginning of my practice, I was just a kind of like a, a chance encounter with a book, which I was, uh, I, I was about, uh, you know, to, to recommend is actually a book by Professor Mark Williams is called Mindfulness and Eight Week Plan for Finding Peace in a Frantic World. So basically this book, you know, explain what mindfulness is as well as have some of the guided practice in the form of MP3. And what is most interesting in the beginning is that, you know, of course, you, will, you know, I find that most people do find that the mind is just wandering all the time. It just won't settle, Right. But then the amazing thing is, as the eight week progresses, I start to notice that my mind become a little bit calmer. I'm a little bit more able to focus my attention, as well as really having a little bit more peace. And also it changes my interactions and relationships with people around me. So after the eight week practice, I decided, you know what, I'll continue this for the rest of my life. So how it changes over time is, you know, at the beginning, you know, especially if you are considering, you know, starting a practice on your own. So guided practice is very, very useful, very helpful. And also start slow, start, you know, small chunk. So, you know, um, you know, even do five, 10 minutes a day, just do it every day or three days a week. Just find something that is, have a plan that is a doable, right? So five, 10 minutes a day, you know, for you know, few day, few times a day, a few times a week will be really, really helpful. And then as you progresses, uh, at least in my experience, that I start to really see that my mind become more clear, my relationships become better, as well as become less reactive to the little things around me. Then I naturally, you know, migrate to you know do a little bit more each day and become you know a daily practice. So I think, you know, of course, everyone is different. So you have to find your own pace and what works for you. But I would say that the most important thing, and I think for type A personality, like most of us, right, having the diligence is, uh, is not that difficult as long as we can see the benefits. So I would say stay at it, and then you will start to kind of notice that things start to change 
And as you change, people around you also start to change. So that is a really, really interesting aspect of it. I love that. Thank you. Excellent. Well, it sounds like even with your kind of change of plans, you're still as busy as you were before. Uh, so, you know, at this point, Agnes, we'd like to ask our guests how they spend their free time. Do you have any favorite books or podcasts to share with our listeners? And, and I guess more importantly, how do you find your own mindfulness space? What do you do in terms of that? Well, that's a really interesting question. Um, how do I spend my free time, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I actually, you know, I think that's very important is that free time has to be, has to be deliberately, you know, you have to kind of like uh, find your own free time. Free time doesn't just happen. So having that kind of intention to set time, some time as free time is very important. So how I spend my free time, mostly, you know, reading. I also really enjoy um, walking outside, you know, a lot now these days in the past, you know, when I was busy, you know, never really have time to go to go to nature, or even to walk in my neighborhood. So I spend a lot of time there is kind of part of my practice. And I mentioned that I also like to read a lot of books and, um, you know, some books, you know, that are really kind of changed my life. For example, you know, John Kepesin, who I mentioned earlier, who is really kind of uh, the, the father of a Western mindfulness who brought, you know, mindfulness into the West. You know, one of his books that really captured me was, uh, is wherever you go, there you are. Another book that I will highly, highly recommend is a book by Dr. Ron Epstein called Attending Mindfulness, Medicine and Humanity. This is a book that talks about mindfulness and attention and being present how is it relevant as a doctor with all kinds of fascinating uh, anecdotes as well as scientific information. In fact, I use this book as a, I call it a monthly book chapter club. So basically what we do is with my residents and fellows uh, at Sick Kids, uh, we actually spend um, uh, each month reading one chapter because everybody's busy. We mm -hmm. don't have time to read a whole book, right? So we just read one chapter a month and then we get together for an hour to discuss, you know, some of the observations and some of the thoughts that got elicited while reading that chapter. So that's a book mm. that I highly recommend. Awesome. Now, in terms of my mindfulness space, I would say, you know, sometimes people have this um, idea that mindfulness is just about, you know, sitting on the cushions, right? Sitting on a cushion and meditate. But actually, what mindfulness is really about bringing that quality of presence, that quality of clarity into your daily life. Mm -hmm. So it slowly become like a way of living. So in the, you know, what I aspire to be or what I try to do is to bring that quality into every minute of my life so that my mindfulness be space become like my whole life. But of okay. course, it is easier said than done, but this is at least what I aspire to do. Awesome. Yeah, it's almost like an active mindfulness that has repercussions right off the bat, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Agnes, thank you so much for joining us. I think this was such a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed uh, learning more about this from you. And um, I know you have in the past held workshops through the COS on mindfulness. I hope there are more of those to come. And we really appreciate you taking the time this evening to share your knowledge. Thank you, Cetere. And thank you, Guillermo. Thank you so much. It's been great uh, talking to you and seeing you again. 
ICANN wants to know what you think. Please send your comments on today's episode or any suggestions you may have for topics or features to communications at cos-sco.ca and we'll try to incorporate them into future episodes. The ICANN podcast has been made possible by support from MD Financial Management and Scotiabank proud financial partners of the Canadian Ophthalmological Society and Canada's Ophthalmologists. Thank you to the Canadian Ophthalmological Society. The ICANN podcast is written and directed by Kim Teitler and produced by John Allaire from Allaire Strategic Works. <laughs>